And as always, Lord, I pray that our minds are open, our ears are open, and our hearts are open just to hear what you have for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So, how many of you have ever felt like you've been betrayed? A lot of us. How many of you have ever um, felt like maybe in this betrayal you were set up? Someone actually set you up to betray you. Not as many people. But what about this betrayal? We have probably have seen that it, it will come from a lot of different places. It might come in our workplace. We might feel that we've been betrayed in, at work. Maybe even some of us have felt that the government has betrayed us. And relationships, that's another place where we might see that there's a lot of betrayal there. And like I said, that at those times, that betrayal that, that we feel like maybe we're set up, feel that someone was out to get us. And I think the first time I experienced this was in grade school. And if you think back to grade school, that life on the playground, that's really where school happened, wasn't it? It wasn't necessarily inside the classroom, but we learned life actually out there on the playground. So in most schools, as it was with mine, you have a group of people that kind of run the school or determine everything that happens on recess. And usually of those group of people, there's one person, isn't there? There's one person that's kind of the yard boss. They're kind of the, the one that the king of the playground. They determine what game they play. They determine the rules that we're going to play by. They determine everything that of, of what they do. They're, they are. They're essentially like a king. Well, I found myself being friends with this person. So with this being friends, usually you get some power from that. Like you, you then have some influence that you can maybe have determine what we do that day in recess. And like every situation, most situations, people are jealous of that. They're envious of that. They want to share that power. They want to be friends with the king. And so they go, okay, well, how can I get some of that? How can I do that? So, well, they plot against me. They plot to betray me, to betray a friendship. And so what they want to do is they want to put me in isolation and put me out. Remember, because there's always this group of kids, too, that didn't get to be part of that group, that kind of sat on the school steps, kind of sat off by themselves and, and weren't really part of that group. And so that's exactly what happened. This group of friends that I thought plotted against me because they wanted my power, so they come up with this plan that they say to the, the yard boss of the, the playground to put him in a situation where he's got to make a choice. He's got to make a choice of saving his own position because if he doesn't, he's going to lose his position or to decide against me, which then puts me in isolation. So, of course, like all of us, he's going to decide to keep his position, which is what he did, and then that sends me off to oblivion. And as you remember in, in most grade school playground situations, that's only temporary because it ebbs and flows. And, and one week you're in, one week you're out, one week you're in, one week you're out. And so you find yourself in this constant rotation, which it kind of is why I came up with today. What comes around goes around like a hula hoop. Some of you know Little Wayne, and I had to give Little Wayne a little credit because I added that, that hula hoop because life, it does kind of go around like a hula hoop, doesn't it? So I have a hula hoop here. 
And if any of you can hula hoop, if you can make a hula hoop hula hoop like a hula hoop should, like say this is the thing, like it, it just goes around like I can't. I asked Dan if he would do it, but he said no way. So if somebody can hula hoop after service, you're more than welcome to demonstrate that for us. But it does, it goes around. It, goes, it just comes around and goes around. So today, we're going to look at a story where things kind of, what goes around comes around. And we're going to look at Daniel 6. We're going to look at a story that, if you don't know that, you're gonna, most of you are going to be familiar with this. This is the story of Daniel in the lion's den. It's kind of a long story, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to tell the story. So what we find is Daniel finds himself living under a different king now. This one is King Darius. And the King Darius appoints 120 people to rule over his kingdom. But then he also appoints three other people to rule over every, those 120 and everybody else. And Daniel was one of those three. And Daniel is such a good leader, such a good administrator, that he just separates himself from everybody else, which is no surprise because the first week we talked about Daniel, Stan talked about, we saw that same thing. Like he just separates himself. So the king is so pleased with Daniel, he decides, you know what, I'm going to take Daniel and I'm going to appoint him over everybody. I'm going to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Well, what do you think those other 120 people and those other two people thought about that? They didn't like that very well. So they're jealous. They're envious. They're in an uproar. And they try to find skeletons in Daniel's closet. They try to find whatever they can to use against him. In a modern-day example, that would be is think of any time there's in recent history there's been somebody trying to be appointed to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court justice, or maybe even a cabinet member. Isn't there just, we, they try to find anything they possibly can. All the way back to in there in grade school, and maybe they were the playground boss. They were the yard boss, and they, they said they bullied people. So that's what they're trying to do on Daniel, find anything they can. And they found nothing. They found absolutely nothing. They, they couldn't even find that Daniel was parking his camel in a no-camel parking zone. So they decide, you know what, we're going to come up with this plan. So they suck up to the king. They, they start with, make King Darius live forever, which if you want to suck up to somebody, that's a really good way to start is to praise them and call them king and tell them to live forever. But they come up with this plan, and they say, you know what, king, you're such a good king, and you're so wonderful why don't you create this new law that says nobody can pray to any other God or human except for you for the next 30 days? And if they, don't, if they can't adhere to that, we'll throw them into the lion's den. So the king goes, ah, I like that idea. I like that idea. I'm going to put that into practice. So he does. Now, something that these, the people that came up with this plan knew is that Daniel wasn't going to waver. Daniel was going to continue to pray to God which is exactly what Daniel does. He goes to his house and he prays three times a day to God because Daniel is he's steadfast. We'll talk a little bit more about this steadfast a little bit later, but all of these people have set Daniel up now. So they go to Daniel's house and sure enough, there he is praying. 
So they take him out of his house, take him in front of the king, and they say, King, look, Daniel is praying to his God. He's violating your law. So the king, because he likes Daniel a lot, he's, he's, dis he's distressed is what the text tells us. And what he does is he makes every effort to try to save Daniel, to not have to throw him in the lion's den. But at sunset, the people come and say, King, this is your law. You can't violate it. So as I told that story of the playground, the king's in a situation where he's going to lose some of his power if he doesn't do it. So he has to throw Daniel into the lion's den, which he does. And so he throws him in there, seals him in there, with, rolls a stone there, seals him with his ring, and the king goes to his house, his, his, his palace, and he can't sleep at all night. He's just upset about this whole thing. So he gets up early in the morning. He runs to the lion's den. He says these words. He says, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And then everybody is amazed, the king and everybody, because, well, Daniel responds to him. This is what Daniel says. He says, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. The king is filled with joy. Daniel's brought out of the lion's den. But then the king is also kind of angry at all these people that trapped him, that set him up. So he rounds up all of them, rounds up all their family and their children and their wives, throws them into the lion's den, and it says that the lions overpowered them, and all their bones were broken before they even hit the floor. And then we see that the king saying these words to us, issuing a new law. It says, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So really, what comes around goes around. Or at least certainly for all of Daniel's accu accusers, it, it came around, didn't it, for them. Now I want us to look at Galatians 6, 7 through 10. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Now, the king made a, he made a pretty hasty decision, didn't he, when he created this law. And he was kind of caught up in the motion, kind of caught up in the emotion of the moment and all the flattery that the people were putting on him. And he created this law without really thinking of what the ramifications of it were. So what goes around comes around. Isn't that really another way of saying we reap what we sow? That the, this king, was, he was impulsive. So he sowed impulse. We sow impulse, we reap regrets. Now, has anybody else in this room made an impulsive decision that they later regretted? Okay, so probably about 10 of you, but I think the rest of you are probably liars. Stan, we've got to talk about that. There's a lot of liars in this room. 
Because it's either us, us few people that are just make these impulsive decisions and later regret them. I remember I made one a few years ago at the pharmacy. We needed a new delivery car. And since I'm so cheap, ask my wife. She'll tell you. She keeps telling me to buy a, a more expensive car. But I'm just cheap. I can't do it. So I go on Facebook Marketplace, find this really cheap car, really low miles, and and I'm impulsive, so I go and I buy it. I don't do my research on it. I don't do any due diligence. I, it, it's, you know, it, I turn it on, it starts, it runs, it doesn't rattle, it sounds good, looks good to me. So I take this car, I pick up a couple deliveries, go make a couple deliveries, it's, hey, it works great, everything's good. Come home, park it in the driveway, eat dinner, come out and show Kim the car, and, well, there's oil all over my driveway. <laughs> Dropped all the oil, it's completely empty. Yeah, I regretted that decision, but um, we did get it fixed, and it's still running, but I regret, I, it's impulsive. I should have checked that out a little bit. Now, as I said, King Darius enjoyed this flattery, Flat, enjoyed all of that stuff that was given him, and he just, he made this impulsive decision that he later would regret. He was impulsive on this new law, based on emotion, and just regretted it because, well, he was... Gonna, he thought he was going to lose his second in command. He thought he was going to lose maybe even a friend. Maybe even Daniel was seen as a friend. Now, Stan, being in the grocery business for a lot of years, would know this better than me. But with those of you with little kids, you know how it's, they're about this tall, but what on grocery stores are right about the same height as their eyeballs? Yeah, you're laughing because, Mommy, 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 I want this, I want this. And then you go to the checkout stand, and, well, the things are a little bit higher, so they're right in your view. Well, why do they do that? So we can impulsively buy them. We impulsively buy them. We get them. We throw them on the checkout stand. We pay for them. We bring them home. And then don't you have a junk drawer like I do? We have a junk drawer. We pull it open, throw it in there, and we forget about it until the next time we go to the store and we buy the same thing. And if we pull that drawer out, we probably see four, five, six things of the very exact same thing because we impulsively buy those things. Now, we're not just impulsive about the things we buy, are we? Or at least I'm not. I'm impulsive about of a lot of things. That we can be impulsive about maybe the things that we eat, right? Like, I like to eat, so I can be a glutton and eat a lot of things and a lot of things that aren't good for me. But maybe we can be impulsive about things that we eat or drink because maybe we're impulsive about alcohol. Maybe we're impulsive about drugs. Maybe we're impulsive about lots of things like that that lead us down a path we later regret. What about things that we look at? We're looking at something, and all of a sudden we look and we start with, we push that button, and all of a sudden this something pops up that, we know we really shouldn't be watching or looking at. And then that leads to pornography. Leads to lots of things down a path of things that we look at. Now, maybe we're impulsive about our decisions we make about someone or something. We hear something, we read something, we don't have the whole story, and we just impulsively make a decision on somebody and just maybe write them out of our lives or make a decision that that person is this one. It's, it's just not true. It's not reality. Maybe we're just impulsive and we do get just caught up in emotion. We get caught up in all of it and we just go along with, with the, whatever the crowd is doing. 
And, but all of these things that we impulsively do, sometimes we end up making a decision that's just life-altering, don't we? We make these life-altering decisions, life-altering decisions that we later regret. And we maybe we'll say things, if I just had that one decision back, if I just made that one other, if I could just take that back, if I wasn't impulsive, that maybe my life would look different right now. I have a senior in high school right now, and that's one of the things I'm, before he leaves my house, it's just to, like, decisions you make right now, they might be impulsive. They might be just something that you're responding to something of the moment, and it could alter the rest of your life. All your hopes and dreams could by that one impulsive decision. Now, there's a decision that I hope you don't make just based on impulse, based on emotion. And I, I hope that's a, that it's a thoughtful and it's a really deliberate choice that you make. That it's a, it's, it's a decision that you make that you de- when you decide to do it, like this is, I'm gonna, this is the rest of my life when I do this. And that's the decision to follow Jesus. That, we, that we're sincere about it. Now let me read some passage out of Luke 14. Starting in verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you you have cannot be my disciple. So following Jesus costs us, doesn't it? This, I read this and it says it costs us maybe even our own life. Now, I read that and I go, maybe that's not a decision I want to make on impulse. That I want to weigh the cost. Because it might cost us some friends. It might cost us our family when we read this. We might be ridiculed. People might say things about us that I don't like. It says we need to give up everything. So I think that's a decision. Maybe we shouldn't be impulsive about it. However, making this decision for Jesus is not one you're going to regret. You won't regret it. Now, I want us to look at another verse out of Matthew. Matthew 16, 24 through 25. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So, if I lose my life to Jesus, I find life? That's what that says, yes. We get this eternal life with Jesus, and you won't regret it. You won't regret it. Now, this is, what's, this is what I love about Jesus, is we may have our entire life just made impulsive decisions and we've regretted them. And then we make another impulsive decision and we regret it. 
but Jesus is still there. Jesus doesn't give up on us. Look at Revela- listen to Revelations 3.20. It says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus is knocking. Jesus is knocking on that door. Are you going to open the door? Now, there's some other sowing that was going on in our story. There's sowing of jealousy, envy, bitterness, hatred, selfish ambition, all unpleasant things that they reap a harvest too. Which I'm going to say is if we sow flesh, we reap destruction. All those people underneath that were going to be underneath Daniel, that were in Darius's kingdom, were, they were jealous of Daniel. They were bitter. They were envious. They were filled with hatred. Lots of, they wanted self-ambition. They wanted what they had. All things that, that is the Bible, what the Bible is saying, that's our flesh. They wanted what Daniel had. But that didn't work out so good for it did him. If you remember, they were thrown into the lion's den and they were destroyed. Now, there's a fable that I ran across I want to tell you about. It's, a, it's about two eagles. There's one eagle that could outfly the other. The one eagle would always fly higher, fly longer. It just was a better eagle. And the one was really jealous of it, really envious of it. And so the one that wanted what the other one had found this sportsman. And this is what he said to him. He said, I wish you could bring down that eagle. And the sportsman replied that if he had some feathers to put in his arrow, I could do it. So the eagle pulled out one out of his wing and the arrow, the sportsman shot the arrow, but it, it didn't quite reach the rival eagle. So, because it was flying too high. So the, the other, the envious eagle, the jealous eagle pulled out more feathers and this kept going on and on and on until finally the eagle didn't have any feathers left and it couldn't fly. So at that point, the sportsman turned around and killed that eagle. And so the end of it, this fable says, my friend, if you are jealous, the only man you can hurt is yourself. So where did that jealousy get that jealous eagle? Didn't get him where he wanted to be, up flying high like that other eagle. Like all those jealous people of Daniel, they ended up as that same fate as that rival eagle. Same fate. They all ended up dead. Now, let's look at these words out of Galatians 5. Starting in verse 15. If you bite and devour each other, Watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. The act of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That seems clear to me. If I sow all of those things on that list, that I'm going to reap destruction. That when the Bible's talking about flesh, it's talking about our sinful desires. Those sinful desires that sometimes we act on on impulse and they lead us to destruction. We've all seen it, I think. We've all seen marriages destroyed. We've all seen families destroyed, relationships destroyed. When we sow what our flesh wants, when we sow what our flesh wants us to sow, now let's look at Romans 8. 
It says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your minds leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Now, I'm going to read the next few verses, because if I stop there, we'll, we'll miss what these officials missed in Daniel, the, the ones that gave in to their sinful nature. So if we continue in verse 9, it says, But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this Spirit living within you. So here we see again, by losing our life for Jesus, we gain life. That we no longer must live by our sinful nature that leads to that destruction, leads to death. That we have this other option. We have this option of Jesus. That we have this option of the Holy Spirit living inside of us that's giving us life, not destruction. So what are you going to sow? Are you going to sow the flesh that reaps destruction? Or are you going to sow what Daniel sowed? What Daniel sowed and reaped life. If you sow steadfastness, you reap life. So what do I mean by steadfast? It's kind of a, it seems to me like that's an old word. We don't, I've never used steadfast in my life until today. So to be steadfast is to be resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering. We can understand maybe firm and unwavering, but those are still kind of big words. Resolutely is defined as an, as an admirably purposeful, that you're determined and unwavering manner, that you have a perp- that you have a determined and unwavering manner. And then dutifully is consciousness in an obedient manner. So I think if you look at this, Daniel was steadfast in his obedience to God. He was steadfast in his pursuit of God. He didn't impulsively give in to the flesh his sinful desire that may have been telling him that, you know what, if you just follow what the king said for 30 days, you're the flesh trying to save itself, to keep itself from being thrown into the lion's den. But Daniel didn't do that. Daniel didn't stop praying. He didn't stop pursuing God. He didn't just follow the king's decree, the king's new law. If he would have stopped and followed that new order with the king, he went to been thrown into the lion's den. So I think Daniel knew the cost. He knew the cost. He knew that being steadfast to God would cost him his life. But Daniel was willing to pay the price. Now this steadfast idea is still a little, you know, what do I mean by that? So is anybody a Cleveland Browns fan in here? That's what I thought, so that's why I picked them. Cleveland Browns have been irrelevant until the last couple years and since 1966 when Jim Brown retired. I mean, they've just been the, this awful franchise. Like, they had some moments in the 80s, but of course the Broncos beat them and sent them out of the playoffs and went to the Super Bowl. In fact, the Browns were so bad that the owner moved them out of the city, and he moved them to Baltimore, and then that team actually won two Super Bowls. 
Well, they finally got their team back in 1999, and but still just completely irrelevant for two decades until finally this last couple of years they, they made the playoffs this year. But those fans, those fans were steadfast. They never gave up on the Browns. They were steadfast. That's what I mean by steadfast. So we've been talking about this sinful nature, this in and the spirit living inside of us, but our sinful nature, our flesh, that leads us to destruction, but the spirit that leads to life. The Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit living inside of us that if we've made that decision to accept Jesus, that Holy Spirit that gives us life. Now, at the end of Galatians 5, we're given this description of what the life of the spirit looks like, what the fruits of the spirits looks like. This is Galatians 5.22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Now, if I was Daniel, my flesh would have wanted me to preserve it, my flesh, and not be thrown in the lion's den. Yet, as I said, we don't see Daniel giving in to his flesh. He remains steadfast to God. Now, it's pretty easy if, I mean, unless we live in a, in a cave, but if we turn on the news, turn on the media, look at social media, read the newspaper, we see a lot of people talking, and we see a lot of what I consider what the Bible says, this flesh being sown. Because, can we be surprised that there's a lot of anger? There's a lot of violence. There's a lot of yelling. There's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of arguing. There's a lot of just attacking each other, insulting each other. But I think that's what we should expect to reap, right? Because that's a lot of what's being sown right now. Now, what if I'm on my social media? And you know, there's that funny little button, that like button. What if I, before I just randomly hit that like button because I, I considered and I wasn't impulsive and I thought, well, maybe that'll sow some of those things and some of those other people. We just stop doing that. That we just, we don't sow that anymore. So what does the fruit you're reaping look like? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. What does it look like? Does it look like our flesh? Like that list that we read, like that list of the people that plotted against Daniel that ended up in destruction of their own themselves, destruction their lives were lost. Or does it look like the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, self-control, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And I want to make one last comment about Daniel before we're done. If you notice, when Daniel came out of the lion's den, the words he said, he says, may the king live forever. He started with praise. He, look at what he was sowing. He was sowing praise to the king. He was sowing, and this is the guy that just threw him into the, the lion's den, that just was about to destroy his life or thought he was going to destroy his life. Again, I'm not sure my flesh would want to be praising someone that just tried to kill me. But look at what Daniel sowed. And look at what he reaped. We see that in verse 28. 
It says, so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Daniel reaped what he sowed. And we, we do reap what we sow. And as the words of little Wayne, what goes around comes around like a hula hoop. Let's pray. Lord, I, again, I just am in an amazement of just your, your redemption, Lord, of how much you love us, how much you protect us. So I think of Daniel, who, I mean, who would have thought that someone being thrown into a lion's den would survive? Lord, you are capable of so much. And as that verse in Revelation says, Lord, you, even if we make the bad, bad decisions, you're still there. You're knocking at the door. Just 